Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Too much of a good thing is a good thing. Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? Do you want to support the show? Now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com slash forum and sign up today. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 15 of the Adventures in Angular podcast. This week on our panel we have Joe Eames. Hey everybody. Lucas Rubelke. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and we have a special guest this week, Jesse Liberty. Hello. Do you want to introduce yourself really quickly, Jesse? Sure. I'm Jesse Liberty. I work for Falafel Software and do videos for Pluralsight and have a number of books and have been in the industry for longer than I care to think. When people say longer than I care to think, then I'm wondering if I was in elementary school, junior high or high school when you got into it. So, Well, uh, my first computer was a Monrobot in 1971 and didn't love that. And then I played with it in college, didn't love that. And then in 84, I bought a PC, 84, 83, mm. and have been doing it steadily since. So I don't know, what grade were you in in 83? I was in preschool. There you go. <laughs> so like I said, longer than I care to think. That's right. Well, it's it's uh, great to get people that have that breadth of experience. There's always something interesting that you know that kind of blows Yeah, you my never mind. know when you're going to need punch tape. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> now you sound like my parents. Yeah, when I was back in school. Yeah, and they talk yes, about the punch cards. Yeah. Indeed, snowstorms up to my hip and punch cards. That's right. <laughs> I remember one time I dropped my punch cards and I was so glad I wrote numbers on them. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. No, I didn't really, I didn't really like computers until the PC came out. And these days, I have been shockingly uh, spending all my time on the Mac for the past number of months, which is uh, amazing to me and fun and exciting. Don't tell anybody at Microsoft where I used to work. <laughs> yeah. Before we get started, I do want to make one announcement, and that is is that I'm working on an online conference for JavaScript developers. It's called JS Remote Conference, and if you go to jsremoteconf.com, uh, you can register uh, the site maybe up a day or two after this comes out, but it'll be pretty close, so I thought I'd announce it now. Yeah, well, we brought you on to talk about Kendo UI and AngularJS. I'm a little curious. Can you give people a bit of an overview of what Kendo UI does? I'm assuming sure. the listener has some idea of what Angular does. Sure. Kendo UI is a library for building snazzy-looking applications with their controls. So they have all of the fancy controls you would expect, better drop-down, uh, better calendar pickers, things like that. And then they have some data visualization, so they have graphs and charts and everything you would expect there, pie charts and, and donut charts and scattered plots and, and so on. They recently reorganized Kendo UI where a massive amount of the material is in the core and the core is open source and free. So it's really just, I believe it's the mobile and the visualization that is not free, but don't quote me on that. All of this is through Telerik, which has recently been acquired. So who knows what the future will be or it's about to be acquired. But in any case, Kendo is visualization controls and historically it's always been used with jQuery. So you would put 
a div, let's say, on your page, and then you would use jQuery to find that div, and then you would replace it essentially with a Kendo control. And they have now integrated Angular as an alternative to using jQuery. Oh, very cool. When you say they've integrated Angular, are you talking about that they've built in directives that allow you to just have this stuff put in? Or Yes, they've made it massively easy to take out jQuery and really change the way you use Kendo. So rather than create a div and find that div and replace it, you create a div or, or a select or whatever HTML control, and then in the attributes you add directives that either inline give you all of the Kendo information that you need, all the uh, options, or point you to the backing JavaScript where everything is. Cool. So, yeah, it's pre- it is very cool, and it, I think it's a much neater, more sensible approach to adding these controls into an application. And, of course, if you're building Angular, then it makes a whole lot more sense than suddenly having jQuery. So if I could jump in here real quick is um, to kind of comment on that as well is, so one, you know, huge thanks to Telerik for actually open sourcing uh, the core. That was kind of a really, I, I think, well played, well done. You know, so Angular is not a, a component library. And so invariably you will eventually need a component that uh, doesn't exist or there's not really a good one. And so on my GitHub repo, um, there's actually a Flawful manager that you kind of track Flawful kiosk and I needed a slider. And being able to actually drop in uh, the Kendo slider and having, you know, the bindings and being able to add it as a directive was really easy. And um, it just was was fun to work with. So, like uh, Jesse said, it's it's a really kind of a sensible way to get kind of these rich components into your Angular JS application. Absolutely. And I'm sorry, did you say you have a falafel manager? Yeah. So I was presenting at uh, Angie Israel virtually a couple months ago, and so I said, "What would be kind of a funny thing to do?" And so we decided we would do a falafel manager where you would actually manage a falafel kiosk in real time. And so, you know, as the orders go up, you drag the slider and then it updates and, um, you know, in real time across all the connected clients. And so that's, uh, what that's called, but I needed a slider to do that. And so that's where, um, you know, the Kendo UI kind of came in. Well, speaking of the most delicious a, project I've ever heard of. Really? Yeah, no speaking kidding. As a, uh, as a consultant for falafel.com, we're going to need to get a copy of that. Yes, sir. Totally open source. <laughs> <laughs> this is only going to make things worse because we're constantly asked, uh, do you guys do food or do you software? What do you do? Uh, so anyway, to return to Kendo and Angular, the particular syntax that I think is really, really powerful is that you can put in a single directive that tells you where to look in the JavaScript and then write the same JavaScript that you would have written already if you were using jQuery or you can put in directives in line in the HTML, and it's really a matter of taste for for how you will go about that. And Kendo provides a fair amount of MVVM support, which actually dovetails nicely with Angular, and you can pick and choose whether you're going to uh, depend more on the Kendo side of that or more on the Angular side, depending on what you're already familiar with. Hmm. 
And I have lots of things I could show if this were video. <laughs> but, but I mean, just to talk you through it quickly, if you start with the simplest, just a, uh, a drop down list, you open up a select tag and then you can put, well, the first thing you do is you put kendo drop down list as a directive and that immediately turns the select into a kendo styled drop down list. And then you can put in as attributes in that tag, you can put in your option label and your data text field and your value field and where your data source is and so on. Or alternatively, you can put in k dash options equal and then put in your, well, I use the controller as syntax and I typically rename my controller as VM to remind me that it's acting as a view model. So I'll have a line that says K options equal VM dot computer options or VM dot foo options and then have those options listed in the JavaScript itself in the uh, controller, which is very clean. Hmm. So overall, do you feel like the Kendo directives are unusually clean compared to how complex they are? Well, yeah, I think it's fair to say that given how much is going on and how much is being done, that they're clean and they're sparse and reasonably well documented. You know, I think a lot of people, perhaps most people come to this from I'm a kendo person who's moving to angular. So how do I translate what I know about kendo to angular? Whereas you folks are angular people who are thinking about, well, how do I add this kendo thing? And so it's interesting because I think that a lot of the documentation and the way it's generally presented is kind of the inverse of the way you're thinking about it. Right. So what do you think are the criteria for considering to use Kendo UI in an Angular project? Well, I mean, I think the primary criteria are, does it have the controls you want? Is it easier to use that, to learn how to use that and use that than to either use an alternative library or roll your own? It's certainly easier than rolling your own, assuming that it'll meet your needs and do what you want. And I found it to be pretty flexible. I personally, this is a, I used to work for Telerik, so I should say that, but I no longer do. And as a personal opinion, I think Kendo is by far not only their strongest library, but one of the strongest libraries of its type. It has a, a great many controls with a great deal of flexibility and you can manipulate the data that's going into these controls, both on the way out and the way in. So, you have a great deal of control over how things are presented. So if you were doing like just a fairly generic web application, would you mm-hmm. by default go with Kendo? It depends a lot on, on what I was building. If it was straight forms and I didn't have any need for any of the visualizations or controls, maybe not. But I think you get a much more professional looking slicker application when you do add in something like Kendo, if not Kendo itself. I think that these libraries can give you a really polished look in a way that would be hard to do making your own. 
And what about a good indicator or criteria that indicates that you shouldn't be looking at Kendo UI or considering it? You know, what type of an app really is Kendo not appropriate for? Let's see. It's not appropriate for Xamarin because I don't think it runs on Xamarin. <laughs> it's, right. not, it's not. I mean, if if you're building a web application and you have use for the controls, which are there's a pretty good variety of controls. So I'm trying to think of where I would say, well, you know, this application do- just doesn't fit for Kendo. Uh, but certainly, if I were building a game, Kendo would not be a contender. I mean, it really is for business-oriented applications where you're either gathering the data or displaying data or displaying data graphically. That That's where it really shines. Hmm. Yeah, it seems like there are a lot of different options here. That The one that I'm looking at that really gets me excited is the scheduler, just because I've built a few apps where I've kind of sort of built something like it. But, you know, to have something, a widget like this that does all the data binding for me, you know, sends all the right messages back to everything that I don't actually have to monkey with and debug, that's exciting right there for me. Right. In the core library, you get a huge number of widgets. So you get grids and list views and pivot grids and calendars and schedulers and splitters. And so, you know, there's there's just a host of different controls. Uh, you get a lot of input controls like autocomplete and pickers and combo boxes and drop-down lists and rich text editors for even without buying the Kendo Professional, you do get some support for data visualization and some support for just general MVVM framework support. Then if you do add the Professional, which is not inexpensive, you get the fancier data visualization like charts and diagrams and gauges. Uh, Gauges are so much fun. And maps and QR codes. And I think... Don't quote me. I believe the scheduler is part of the professional, but... Um, it says it is, so... Yeah, I'd have to take that apart to be sure. I think what they say on their site is that there's, if I remember, it's 40 or so of their widgets are in the core and therefore open source, and then there's another 30 or 40 in the professional. But I'm not a Kendo UI rep, so your mileage may vary. So when you go to the Kendo Labs uh, site, all the widgets and, that are shown, they're not all open source? Well, first of all, Kendo Labs is uh, probably not where you want to be because that's the more experimental stuff. If you go to, I think it's kendoui.com, uh, you'll see more of the breakout. And then I'm trying to think of where you could find what is in professional versus what's in core. It should be on that site somewhere. That's their main site. Now, they also have wrappers for various languages. Like if you're building an ASP.NET MVC, they have a wrapper for that, and they have a wrapper for PHP and so on. I've never really seen a big advantage to that because if you're comfortable with HTML5 and you're comfortable with either jQuery or Angular, then you know you can just write it very directly. Cool. Uh, let me see what else. Uh, I'm, I'm taking a quick look at their site to see if I can break out for you 
what pieces are what. But I, I know that that information is on their site, so there's very little point in my revisiting it. I can tell you that, you know, the little presentation that I do on Angular and Kendo, I really just walk through how you drop Kendo into an Angular application and very quickly the pattern becomes clear because when you're using any of these controls, a progress bar, a button, a, a drop down and so on, it really is the same thing again and again, which is that you start with either an HTML5 control like button and turn it into a Kendo button, or you start with a div and turn that into a progress bar. But in both cases, you do that with, with a directive. And then, uh, most of the magic happens in the associated JavaScript where you're doing very straightforward Kendo work. That would be the same whether you're using Angular or jQuery of getting your options sorted out, getting your data source uh, manipulating the data, setting up the options, and uh, so forth. So all of that is kind of platform agnostic. Hmm. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to sell Kendo UI to Angular programmers. I think it's it's an interesting library. I think it's an interesting alternative. I happen to have used it enough to see that it it sustains itself in demanding environments, but I don't think it's the only alternative. And I just think it's interesting that they've recognized Angular as important enough that they've not only made it available to Angular programmers, but they've sort of made that part of the core offering. You know, they've into because it was in the labs originally, but now it's just part of, of what they offer. Cool. I'm speechless. <laughs> I, I really want to play with it now. So I guess one of the questions I've got, then Jesse, about this is you've been doing Kendo for a while. Are there times where you feel like you know Kendo has really added a ton of value to creating an Angular application? Or are there times where you're saying, eh, maybe I'm not really doing this here the right way and I should have just been using UI Bootstrap and foregone Kendo? Um, I, in, in demo programs, definitely, I have felt that. That Kendo, in, in a small de demo program, it's hard to get the full strength of the library. But in a commercial application, the amount that you can do with Kendo and the amount that you can customize Kendo and the amount that you can use Kendo to augment the and, and work nicely in an MVVM environment, I have found it to be extremely valuable. I was on a project that was using Kendo with jQuery and MVC, and we subclassed every one of the Kendo controls to get exactly what we wanted, but that wasn't terribly hard to do, and we were able to use Kendo controls in this huge massive application and they were extremely reliable. So when I look at large angular applications, it definitely would be a contender, something I would look at seriously if the UI and, and presentation is important and if you're dealing with either gathering or presenting data. Now, only under those conditions. I mean, there are lots of angular applications that aren't doing that, but my experience is that most 
serious Angular applications at some point are either gathering a fair amount of data and or presenting it. Would you so agree that, that, that most Angular apps do that at some point? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> that was a uh, non-100% committal, but yeah, mostly. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. So when you're using Kendo to build these kind of applications, the thing that I always get frustrated about is not just Kendo with any of these applications when you're integrating them is where does the line end? Meaning Angular does certain things that Kendo does and vice versa mm-hmm. too. And then you've got the widgets that you, you plug in and, you know, is there a good story or rules of thumb that you can share with folks on what's the right way to use Kendo with uh, Angular? Yes, well, I think one of the issues that you have to confront is that they do both provide certain overlapping services. So Kendo can provide essentially an MVVM framework for you, which I think if I were doing it, I would prefer to have Angular own that responsibility, which is why when I use Kendo with Angular, I use the controller as syntax and I push the setup for Kendo into the Angular JavaScript and let Angular manage essentially the view model, which is the controller. On the other hand, to answer your question fairly directly, for the things that Kendo does extremely well, like creating widgets and setting options on those widgets and so forth, then I tend to defer to Kendo rather than trying to program around it. Because like any library, if you use it kind of the way they imagine and the way it was intended, then it's all downhill and easy. But if you're, you know, constantly fighting with it, then what's the point? So does that lead to like, they have these directives for Kendo for different widgets. And does that lead to messy code in some cases? Let me explain myself. So you got a directive and it's calendar control and they expose some bindings to the directive for properties like date range, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. But do you also have to kind of leave the JavaScript world a little bit, the Angular world and do some jQuery-ish programming, meaning go ahead and now go get a bunch of data and set that object into Kendo and kind of work around the directive. Do they? No, no, you I don't. haven't done this with Kendo, so I don't know. Yeah, no, you don't. I mean, that is definitely the easiest error to make. If you start out as a Kendo jQuery programmer, it's hard to break out of the mindset of find object, modify object, which is definitely the jQuery approach. But they have done a good job with integrating into Angular so that you don't do that at all. And you never do a search for an object and then do some modification. Instead, what you do is you drop essentially directives into the widget itself. Now, that can get messy and crowded, but they have a directive called K-Options, and you just point that to object in your controller, and then everything gets pushed out into the controller and is not sitting in the HTML. So you can have pretty sparse HTML5 that's pretty easy to read and maintain and then have the details in your JavaScript in a way that I think is pretty comfortable. So I'm just looking at one right now, just as an example, I've got a div and it says, you know, just the the open div and then it says kendo-slider and then it says ng model equal and VM is my controller RAM, and K options equal VM RAM options. So when I go to the JavaScript, I see right away 
where those things are, right? So in my activate function, I've got my computer options, which has my data source for obtaining the data. And then I've got an object called VMRAM options that has all of the options for that slider. So it's got its minimum setting, its maximum setting, its small step, but it's very clean JavaScript. It's very easy to understand. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I just pulled up a site with a, the Kendo UI Angular Directive site, and it, that seems to be backing up what you're saying on this. I just haven't used them nearly as much. That's a problem I've seen with some of the widgets I've tried to use with Angular is, yeah, they're ready for Angular, but they didn't really design them for Angular. It looks more like these directives truly are exposing their values through, you know, bindings and scope. Yeah, I think, I think they've done a really nice job. Now, I, I don't pretend to be an Angular expert. I would like to be, but, you know, reality interfered. I would be very, very interested in now that this has settled down and is integrated directly into Kendo in seeing what happens when somebody who starts out from the Angular perspective brings this into a larger commercial project and what problems they run into, if any, and what limitations they run into, if any. I think it's fairly early days yet, so I'm not sure that there's a lot of experience in the community with doing so. Gotcha. All right, well, do we have any other things that we need to bring up before we get into the picks? If people want more information about this or to get in touch with you, Jesse, what are the best ways to do that? The best ways to get in touch with me are on Twitter, at Jesse Liberty, or especially if folks are interested in mentoring, consulting, training, contract programming, the best way to get in touch with me is jesse, that's J-E-S-S-E, at falafel.com. But I'm pretty readily available, and I will be at Angle Brackets, thank you, John Papa, in a couple weeks. And so folks can just grab me in the hallway. All right. And Joe, are there any NGConf announcements you want to share before we move along? Uh, yeah. We are starting ticket sales. They'll probably have had the first round by the time this gets published. But the biggest announcement is the full schedule is out. So that should be up on the website by the time this podcast is out. And if you're signed up to get updates to the website, your email updates, you will have seen it there. But very briefly, Wednesday, the day before, is going to be a big workshop day. So anybody that has a ticket can optionally come on Wednesday for an additional fee and come and take a six-hour course on Angular. So there'll be, an advanced, there'll be an advanced course or a basic course, and we'll also be offering an Ionic course as well. That one won't be six hours. That'll just be three. And then, of course, if you are coming, plan to stay through the entire event because Wednesday during the day, we've got the workshops. Wednesday night, there'll be lots of hack night events going on. Friday night after the conference is over is a big party night. We have lots of announcements for activities then. And then Saturday, as was last year, will be our ski day. So stay and go skiing with your Angular buddies. That's perfect because if you break a leg, you can spend the time that you're recuperating learning how to do this. Indeed. You're a strange man, Jesse Liberty. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, let's get to some picks. John, do you want to start us off with picks? (laughs) Yes, actually. So recently I've been using uh, Browser Sync. Have you guys seen that one lately? It's a tool I was using Live Reload with some things, and I've got a love-hate relationship with Live Reload. But Browser Sync is similar to Live Reload, but it also allows you to synchronize multiple browsers at the same time. So it's uh, pretty easy to hook up. There's actually no Gulp plugin. You just use npm install Browser Sync. And then you can launch a browser or multiple browsers like Chrome, Firefox, uh, emulators, 
And then you can actually synchronize it so that when you scroll in those browsers, it'll actually scroll in all of them at the same time. So pretty cool stuff. That's my pick. Awesome. Joe, what are your picks? So my pick this week is going to be a boot camp. These uh, boot camps that have kind of popped up all over Hack Reactor and the other ones similar to that, I think are awesome. And I've talked to a lot of people that are just not doing what they want to be doing, not making the kind of money they want to make. And I keep telling them, hey, come get into development. Go spend three, four months learning how to become a front-end web developer. So there's a local one here in town that I think is awesome. They do a full-time for three months, then they do a part-time after hours, one that's longer. And I think they're just great. They're called Dev Mountain. And of course, they teach Angular as part of their curriculum, along with Node on the back end. And it's a great way to get into development. So it may not be exactly for the people that are listening, but if you have friends and relatives who are struggling and you know a little technical leaning and want a better job, Suggest a boot camp. They don't have to go to a four-year CS degree to get into programming. And that's my pick. Awesome. Lucas, what are your picks? So my pick is NG Europe. I just got back from that. Uh, there's a lot of really, really exciting things uh, coming you know, in the pipeline for Angular. And the you know with kind of the new ES6 features and, and where it's going, um, it's just a really good conference. A lot of really, really good stuff on the horizon that I'm excited about. Cool. I forgot to ask. Angular tips? Hmm. Well, I can go if Lucas wants a minute to think. I do need a minute. Go ahead, Joe. <laughs> so my tip today is going to be the fact that in directives, this is going to be a very advanced tip. The compile function is mostly useless now, now that the transclude function is available in the link function, which has been available since 1.2, but it kind of slipped under the radar of a lot of people. But the compile function, which is where people were doing some more advanced directive work, is almost essentially useless. Almost all the directives that used to need to use the compile are now able to just use a link function, and it kind of simplifies your directive. So if you're using the compile function, I think that's where you need to go in order to do complex transclusion. The link function now has that for you instead. Do I get a pick? Yes. Okay, well, I thought long and hard about my pick and realized that you guys had probably covered most of the Angular stuff, but you cannot be a serious geek without buying the book What If by Randall Monroe, who's the creator. Yes, guy from XKCD, and this book is fantastic. People write in with hypothetical science questions, and he goes off and does the real science and physics of it. My favorite is somebody asked... How many Legos would it take to build a bridge from New York to London? And he figures out the stress and the <laughs> size and the numbers and what it would cost and then compares that with taking apart London brick by brick, stone by stone and transporting it to the Hudson River next to New York City and shows how that would be less expensive. It's brilliant. It's, it's <laughs> incredibly well done. Awesome. Do you have an angular tip for us? Me? Yeah. Yeah, listen to this show and uh, read uh, read the blogs. And uh, if it works for you, there are a couple great courses on Pluralsight. Plug, plug. No, I don't have a, a useful tip. Hey, I'll take listen to this show. I thought that was useful. Yeah. Oh, okay, there you go. Lucas, did you come up with a tip for us? Yes, so my tip is to use expression isolated uh, scope to really actually defer the responsibility of your directive back to the parent. So it's kind of this black box. So ng-click actually uses this where you say, when something happens internally in this directive, do something or delegate that control back to the parent. So you might say ng-click, you know, and call the method do something. And so it's a really neat way to, you know, kind of create this this box that 
you can actually dynamically define its behavior using um, expression isolated scope. And I have a blog post coming on, out on that uh, really soon, but that is my tip. It's really powerful, and I don't think a lot of people really think about expression isolated scope, but you can do quite a lot of things with it. You know, I stay up late at night thinking about expression isolated scope. You too? Man, we <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> All right, uh, I've got a pick really quickly. It's the Virtual Freedom book by Chris Ducker. This is more of a business pick than an Angular pick, but I've been reading it again, and it really has pushed me to look for opportunities where I can outsource the stuff that I don't do well, and so that way I can focus on the things that I enjoy and do well. So go check it out. It's a terrific book if you're in business for yourself and you know looking for ideas of things that you can uh, send off to somebody else to get done, like bookkeeping and other fun things like that. I can't recommend the book highly enough. And I don't have a tip this week. It's been kind of a crazy week. Anyway, so uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up. I just want to remind you again, go check out NG Remote Conf, ngremoteconf.com, and be ready to get your ng-conf tickets. And that's it. We'll wrap up. We'll catch you all next week. Thank you for having me. This was great fun. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by CashFly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with CashFly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.